0: For 50% off, visit rosettastone.com slash LeVar. That's rosettastone.com slash L-E-V-A-R. Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispie from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispie, only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, It's LeVar. We're getting more new episodes ready for you later this month. And to help us celebrate the new year, we're releasing new 3D immersive remixes of some of my favorite episodes about new beginnings. I sincerely hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads. In every episode, I handpick a different piece of short fiction, and I read it to you. The only thing these stories have in common is that I love them, and I hope you will, too. To give you a little window into how I process and, and choose the stories for this podcast, basically, every season, we start fresh. I usually don't have a theme or particular authors or genres or anything in mind, but as soon as we begin to put the season together, a pattern begins to form and a theme starts to crystallize. And it seems like this season, it's about individual acts in the face of big moral questions. I think when things feel so out of control, like they have this past year, Your one individual act, your choice, can feel insignificant. And reading these stories has reminded me that those individual acts are not insignificant in the least. And so, I'm excited to read you this story today on that very theme. It's by Bishop Garrison. And it was published in issue number 16 of FIRE, the magazine of black speculative fiction. Bishop is a co-founder of the Rainey Center and director of national security outreach at Human Rights First. This story starts out small. A little boy on a regular weekday morning walks into a quiet, sleepy diner and gets the attention of the waitress. He's all on his own, which seems kind of odd. And he's looking for something. But first, he wants a piece of pie. So, if you're ready, let's take a deep breath. And begin. Silver Door Diner by Bishop Garrison. The boy is hungry. He wants apple pie and conversation. He loves that pie, but truly enjoys the company. His slender chestnut-brown hand pushes against the diner's cool silver door. He loves the smooth touch of the glossy surface as much as he loves the way it shimmers in the sunlight. A bell tolls as the door swings open. The restaurant has traditional decor. Wooden booth seats with formica tabletops covered in wine-burgundy vinyl. Black-and-white checkerboard linoleum runs throughout the length of the establishment. A counter sits in front of him with stools that spin on the same silver-polished chrome as the door. He loves the stools. They're bound with a faux red leather, the same shade as the tabletops. The entirety of the restaurant is empty, except for a middle-aged Caucasian man seated at the other end of the counter. He's sipping coffee and reading to himself. He's clean-shaven in a mid-grade business suit. He looks rather uninterested in what he's reading, but that's not surprising. The boy missed the breakfast rush, and he's fine with that. He chooses a stool a few seats down from the man. He keeps his hands in his pockets because he's more comfortable that way. His feet can't reach the floor, so he lets them swing in front of him. They occasionally kick the counter, but he decides that's okay too. A woman with raven hair pulled back in a ponytail appears from a door leading into the kitchen. She wears a white and peach pinstriped top. A big collar. Her smile is filled with pearly white teeth. A white apron covered with fresh smudges of grease hangs around her waist. Her features are sharp and wonderfully symmetrical. Her skin is a rich and even mahogany. The boy likes symmetry. Objectively, there is something striking about her look. Her eyes are deep brown and soulful. They level in on him and her cherry lips part in a smile. The smile is warm and he's happy to see it. As if it is a reflex, he smiles back at her. Her name tag reads Tammy. Well, hello there, mister. There is a faint hint of a twang in her voice, the remnants of a southern accent that she left behind not that long ago. She surveys the room. The Caucasian man continues to read from his device. The only sounds to be heard are the faded echoes of the city outside. She sees no one else. You here by yourself? The boy nods. Well, I'm not sure that's right. Shouldn't you be in school? No, the boy responds. I'm right where I should be. Her face contorts ever so slightly. (laughs) Young boys should be in school this time of day, mister. She chuckles, brushing loose strands of hair away from her face. There's an effervescence about her, a dynamic sparkle of life. It makes the boy smile again. Are you hungry? She asks. Yes. Well, let's make a deal. I'll have the cook make you whatever you'd like, but then you'll have to tell me about yourself. Like, maybe who your parents are, or where you're supposed to be so we can get you there safely. How's that sound? He feels himself nodding without even trying. Okay, Mr. Man, what'll it be? Do you have apple pie? He asks, knowing the answer. She leans in and whispers. As a matter of fact, she pauses and looks around as though hiding some tantalizing secret. We don't have just any old apple pie, but the best apple pie in town. The boy smirks at the statement. He loves playing along best apple pie? He whispers. That sounds amazing. It is wonderful. How about a slice of that with a little bit of milk? That'd be great. She pats her hand on the counter and disappears into the kitchen. The boy adjusts a bit in his seat, his hands resting comfortably in the pockets of his bright red windbreaker. His high top sneakers still occasionally squeak, rubbing against the glossy wood near the bottom of the counter. The boy sees the Caucasian man occasionally glance over. He grins a few times during their exchange. The boy always likes the man. He seems nice. Tammy reappears from the back. In one hand, she carries a tall glass of milk. The other holds a handsome slice of apple pie. Steam still rises from it when she sets the plate in front of the boy. He takes in a deep whiff of the aroma. Hot baked apples, rich cinnamon, warm and buttery crust. The boy's mouth begins to salivate. As he prepares himself for the treat, he overhears the Caucasian man ask for his check. Tammy cashes him out, and the pair exchange familiar pleasantries. Then, he pays and heads for the exit. He tells her he'll see her tomorrow, and she returns the gesture. Then, Tammy retrieves a nearby set of silverware along with a cloth napkin and places them in front of the boy. Deal's a deal. Go ahead, little mister. You get a few bites, then you have to tell me the info. The boy nods, picks up the fork, and digs into the dessert. It practically falls apart in his mouth, the flavors dancing across his tongue. He feels bad for ever thinking of the pie as only above average. Of course, it's the best apple pie in town. In part, it's what brings him back to this place. Into his third bite, she asks him the question again. Always the detective, Tammy is. Okay, young man, out with it. What school do you go to? Where are your parents? He knows what comes next. He always thinks he'll have more time, but he never does. He always thinks it will be different somehow, but it never really is. He places the fork on the counter. He takes a long drink of the milk, then setting the glass back down, picks up the napkin and slowly wipes the corners of his mouth. Returning the cloth to his lap, he looks up and lets his brown eyes sink with Tammy's. I don't have any parents. And I don't attend school. Tammy blinks and nods knowingly. The boy knows she thinks he's a delinquent, a truant, or perhaps a runaway from a foster home. She leans in again to engage him more. Okay. I'm sorry to hear that, honey. But who takes care of you? I take care of me. And I missed the city. So I came back. Missed the city? She asks. You aren't from here? The boy shakes his head. He motions around the room with his hand. Nope. I just like coming here. I missed it. He picks up the fork and goes after the pie again. "'You had to leave?' she asks. "'Yes and no. "'Technically, not yet,' the boy says between bites. "'I'm told my work here is complete, so I have to go. "'There's no more value left in studying it.' "'Tammy is honestly confused. "'In studying what, honey? "'The world, Tammy?' How this world ended, or will end, depends on your point of view, your perspective. The boy's tone remains calm and flat in that explanation. He takes another bite of the pie. He lets the cinnamon overtake his senses. The buttery crust is flaky and still warm. Tammy examines him partly in disbelief, partly in discomfort. The boy leans across the counter. His windbreaker rustles with a crinkling plastic sound. Tammy pulls away. The awkwardness from her is palpable. He practically sees it hanging in the air between them. I'm not sure the game you're playing here, sweetie, or who might have put you up to it. It's not funny or cute, and I'm going to need you to leave. Her voice is even, authoritative, unequivocal. It always is in this moment. The boy knows she needs some proof that he isn't just some child with a big imagination. Susan Culpepper, eighth grade, in the lunchroom. You made fun of her clothes in front of a group of girls. You said she looked poor and homeless. All of you laughed. At the end of lunch before class, you were in a restroom stall and saw her come in crying. She sobbed for a solid two minutes, then she left. You wanted to apologize and didn't. The next week, she transferred schools. You never hung around that group of girls again, and to this day, you regret never telling her you were sorry. You looked her up on social media more than a dozen times. Tammy's eyes are the size of the saucers sitting behind her on the counter. I I never told anyone that story. You told it to me? Susan is married now with two children in a lovely brownstone in Flatbush, Brooklyn. She's a wealthy author, married to an anesthesiologist. Funny how life works. Writing about the abject poverty she survived as a child... Made her a millionaire. This world loves its irony nearly as much as it does its war. Tammy shakes her head vigorously. That's not possible, she whispers. She wipes away the tears cascading across her cheeks now. The boy always hates seeing her sad. I've never seen you before in my life. Who put you up to this? "'You and I have had this conversation on more than one occasion. "'To be exact, we've spoken 3,285 times.'" He looks up, realizing she's still petrified in horror. "'This is something we go through as well. "'You don't believe me. "'Then I tell you to go in the back and turn on the television.'" In exactly seven minutes, a live report airs about a plane crash in Texas that's killed 14 people, the cause of which is still unknown. Then you tell me you just think one of my relatives had something to do with the crash. That's when I tell you that the gentleman that was here earlier, Oliver Marks, doesn't come here for the marginal coffee or runny eggs. He comes back because he's in love with you. It's something you've long suspected. He has been in love with you since he walked through the door one year, one month, and 16 days ago. He's a young widower and doesn't know how to deal with his feelings. He feels betrayed by them, by the fact that he could have affections for someone besides his deceased wife. So instead of acting on those emotions, he comes and he sits and he eats mediocre food so he can simply see and speak to you. The boy returns to his plate, but then he quickly adds, that's not fair. All the food here isn't mediocre, or I wouldn't keep coming back for the apple pie. It's the best I've ever had. He takes a bite. Tammy's voice cracks as she speaks. Did Oliver? Did he? No one put me up to this, Tammy. I swear, I'm not trying to trick you. If you'd like more evidence, I can keep giving you examples of Oh, how- God, she interrupts. No more than you are? Then how do you know all of this? And how can you see the future? The boy only has a few bites of pie left. Sometimes he asks for another slice before delving deeper into the conversation. But today— He believes he's had enough of a treat. We've discussed the specifics of your life every time we've met. Each instance is not identical to its predecessor because I typically ask a variety of questions. At this point, however, there's really no mystery left in it. So, much like Oliver Marks, but without the romantic inclination, I came here today for the pie and the conversation. You don't speak like a little boy. The boy touches his finger to his nose, then points back at Tammy. Sharp as a knife. Let's just call me an other. We're something different. The details would take up the entirety of a conversation. So instead, I'll simply tell you that I'm very old from a place very far away.
1: Here's to the best spring ever in this season's must-have shoes. Find all the styles you need from brands you love at amazing prices right now at DSW. Update your closet with colorful sandals made for sunny days, fresh sneakers perfect for spring looks, and sporty soles ready for new adventures. Whatever you're up to this spring, DSW has the exact right pair for the occasion. Shop must-have spring shoes at your DSW store and DSW.com.
0: At Amica Insurance... Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Now, let's get back to our story. Tammy's grip tightens along the counter edge behind her. For a moment, she appears to relax, leaning forward as though to inquire more about the boy's nature. He is filled with excitement at the potential that she may engage in an action she's never previously taken. An alien, she says, as she's whispered thousands of times prior. The boy's hearts sink. Feels like a pejorative, Tammy. But all right. It's accurate, I guess. What if I just want you to go away? What if I just scream for Big Mike to come from the kitchen and deal with you? You've done that before. He's in the back engulfed in some morning news sports program. Sometimes just general screaming, sometimes specific yelling for Big Mike, sometimes a combination thereof. When asked, I always leave. He points to the door behind him. If you want me to leave now, I'll go. But you don't want me to leave. Tammy's voice cracks. Oh? Sure about that? She picks up the knife sitting to her left. Sometimes it's been the knife, other times the spatula, but never anything else. She points it at him as though ready to strike. The boy nods. Yup. I haven't presented any threat to you besides knowing a bit about your background and situation. And your curiosity is pushing you to understand. That? And you look crazy pointing a knife at an innocent child. You think I want you to answer questions more than I'm worried about you hurting me? I have no interest in hurting you, nor have I posed any physical threat. If I wanted to do that, we wouldn't be sitting here talking about it. But, yes, that's what I'm thinking. Her rigidness melts somewhat, but not completely. She moves to the front door and pulls it back. The sun reflects off its silver sheen. She looks up and down the street, then returns her attention back to the boy inside. Knife still in her hand, but now at her side, She hovers near the boy. Why has no one come in yet? We usually have a few more people coming in. Are you holding them back or something? No, nothing I've done. There was an accident a few blocks away. It held up a city bus. We have another 15 minutes before your next customer shows up, a young local newspaper reporter that had a long night. She comes in and has the pancakes. A couple of college students studying for an exam come in a few minutes after that. The world's gonna end? Tammy says in the tiniest possible voice. Her southern roots are suddenly obvious in her accent. This is a regular occurrence, and the boy thinks it's likely due to the stress of the situation. She sets the knife on the counter and takes the seat next to the boy. And did, he corrects her. A long time ago. But for you, it'll be tomorrow. 3.01 in the afternoon, Eastern Standard Time. Tammy protests. That's not possible. It doesn't make sense. The boy sighs. They've been through all of this so many times before, but this part never changes. He grabs nearby salt and pepper shakers. He lifts the pepper and presents it to her. Today, a small-minded man will feel threatened. He will feel the walls of his dictatorial power collapsing around him. In a desperate miscalculation following a perceived threat, He will launch a volley of conventional munitions at an enemy. Hundreds of thousands die. He hopes it will be the show of force necessary to stabilize his position domestically and abroad. It's not, and it won't. Now the boy lifts the salt shaker in the same manner as the pepper. Another small-minded man will use this opportunity as both a distraction from his own political ills and an opportunity to demonstrate his own nation's power to its allies and opponents alike. Except the second man demands a nuclear weapon be utilized in the attack. Tens of millions die because of it. Placing both items down now, The boy makes a loose sphere with his hands and fingers. Feeling as though he has nothing to lose, the first man convinces his military and scientific leaders to retaliate with a highly experimental, exceptionally poorly designed and constructed nuclear fusion weapon. The weapon is the fever dream of Pulp Fiction writers, a warhead designed to detonate after burrowing beneath the target area following impact. The boy slowly pulls his fingers and hands apart. Things don't go according to plan. The payload crashes into the ocean and continues to dive until it hits the floor bottom. Then it begins to dig. They cannot stop it. It digs for miles and miles until it finally The boy purses his lips, pushing air out of his full cheeks. That's awful. It was, yes. But I still don't get how you're here. If you said it already happened. The boy's throat is dry. He takes a sip of milk. There is a nearby paper napkin. He places the milk down again while lifting the paper, just as he has in the past, presenting it to Tammy. I know you were a biology major. <laughs> of course you do, Tammy huffs. And physics wasn't your thing. Even after all these years, the boy is still excited to relay scientific theory to anyone willing to listen. He feels as though he's again lecturing young minds as he did centuries ago. Think of this napkin as space. This corner is where my people are from. This opposite corner is you. It would take us a very, very long time to travel from this corner to that one if we went through the shortest path in normal space. It would be what your people might refer to as relativistic travel. Like the theory of relativity, she asks. The boy nods. Depending on the speed of the ship, time on it would go on normally, while decades or even hundreds of years would pass in our respective homes. One trip used to mean saying goodbye to the families and the world we knew in order to explore the universe around us. The boy folds the two opposing edges of the napkin together. Long ago, we learned a method of travel that folds the space between distance points. So travel is much more convenient. We were able to visit other worlds and search for life similar to our own. Unfortunately, we found Earth after it was destroyed. Tammy waves her hand around. But we're right here. I'm standing here breathing and crying and talking to an alien, apparently. Or maybe just losing my mind. The boy tears the napkin, nearly ripping the earth corner completely off. It flops in the breeze of an air vent from above. I know we are. When the earth was destroyed, it did something to the space surrounding it. Actually, it was the anomaly that drew our attention. The boy flaps the torn napkin corner towards her. The explosion somehow caused a rip in the fabric of space and time. When we traveled to this system, we found something your scientists might call a wormhole. Think of it as a sort of tunnel. While some wormholes that are navigable may lead to other points in space, this one brings a traveler to a specific time, 7.45 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, the day of the first explosion. We cannot go back beyond that point. Life on this planet is caught in a never-ending loop, with all of you reliving the last 32 hours of your existence. We have no idea why this is. We come through the wormhole. We come and speak to people. We return to space and watch the explosion from a safe distance. We wait a few hours and watch time reverse in this specific area of space with the world piecing itself back together. It's a mesmerizing sight to behold. Then, eventually... We go back through the wormhole to our own time for supplies, resources, and to analyze our data. Why a little black boy? She asks out of the blue. She has, however, randomly asked this question in this manner before. It does not surprise the boy. Because I've watched American culture closely and studied its history with great care. In this city, even in plain sight, in the middle of the morning, nearly no one would ever really see me. The sad reality of that truth lingers in the air. I don't think that's fair, she responds. Things have never been great, but you're a child. Looked like a child anyway. Someone must have seen you walking around alone and asked what you were doing. Someone must have cared. You always do, he tells her. Tammy has a certain hesitance in her voice, maybe still shaking from the last thought, but she continues. Why keep coming back here? The boy smiles. For the pie and the conversation. I'm serious. So am I, he protests. My colleagues think I'm crazy, I came here years ago to conduct research, gain as much knowledge as possible so we could avoid any such catastrophe ourselves and return home. The more I got to understand this place, however, the more I began to appreciate it. It's a beautiful cacophony of nonsense and contradiction. It was utterly hopeless before the bombs fell, but somehow it still felt as though you would figure things out and make it all work. Until we didn't. The boy picks up the glass of milk and polishes off the last sip. Until you didn't. Anyway, I wanted to know more, not just about the science and the politics behind it, but something you people refer to as the human condition. Tammy releases a miniature gasp. And I was doing that? Teaching you about what it means to be human? In your own way, yes. We've taken walks, and you told me about growing up in South Carolina and studying biology at Chapel Hill. We talk about falling in and out of love, about family, about what brought you to the city. We talk about everything and nothing here. We really only take a few hours most of the time, but they last for an eternity, so to speak. Anyway, it doesn't matter now. Tammy shifts in her position, and for a moment the boy believes she may get up for some reason unknown to him, and the idea excites him. She looks over her shoulder at the door, seemingly ready to leave. But she does not. Her attention returns to the boy as it has time after time previously. Why not? Why doesn't it matter? She asks him. I've been called home permanently. My leaders believe we've gotten everything we can from this effort. But you disagree Yes, the boy nods his head, frustrated. He knows in the very depth of his being it's not true. There is so much more to learn from humans, but these bureaucratic decisions were often made with little consideration for the science. Tammy's brown eyes rest on him. He thinks for a moment he can practically feel her staring through his childlike facade, seeing his real image then what she asks thinking a moment longer she answers her own question before he can engage you want to help us you want to find a solution to the loop don't you i've already tried to help your leaders 2388 times i've gone against our non-interference policy and had to defend my actions with my supervisors I was lucky they bought into the scientific research benefits and didn't see the harm in engaging a constantly resetting society. Having viewed your species themselves, they never believed I was going to be successful. They didn't think anyone would listen. And they were right. I've shown up impersonating leaders, celebrities, people back from the dead. I even tried actual religious deities, hoping to inspire some type of change. If showing up as the second coming didn't do it, nothing will, I guess. Tammy breaks into a timid grin, but there's something dark and bitter about it. It's small and sad, but it's there. If anything, it just made things worse before the missiles flew. Nothing stops them. Ever. So with years of data... I've been told to pack up. I wanted a final goodbye with you. So, just like that, that's it? You tell me this wild story. You tell me aliens exist and the world is going to end tomorrow. Not just that it's ending, but it's doomed to repeat the process forever. And you super advanced aliens are just like, that sucks. Bye, y'all. And all of that without any regard for how being the only person on this planet with that information might affect me? That's just it. I think about how you and all your friends and family feel every day. I'll remember you forever, along with our many hours of shared experience. But come 3.01 tomorrow, the world will end again and you won't remember a thing. The boy stands now. In a moment, the young reporter will show up. She's nice, but never really takes him seriously. He decides to just go. But something in him wants to keep up one small tradition. Something that's just been for Tammy and him all these years. I do have a question... Before I go, he tells her. For a moment, just try and forget everything we've talked about. Forget everything I've said and just think. What would you do if you knew the world was going to end tomorrow and there was nothing you could do to stop it? Tammy folds her arms and stares back at him. In the past, she's only shared six responses. Making up with her estranged father, finding Susan Culpepper, taking a trip to Paris, traveling to California to dive in the Pacific one last time, or addressing her claustrophobia. A few hundred times, she answers with running a warm bath and drinking red wine. Regardless, 3,284 permutations elicit only six total responses. Suddenly, Tammy's head shoots back up. Her eyes are laser-fixed on the boy's face. He finds it perplexing, different. His hearts flutter. Tammy unties the small apron at her waist. Then she shouts toward the kitchen. I quit, Mike. I love you. Thanks for everything, but I'm gone. What? Mike's voice echoes back. To the boy, she says, You asked me what i do. I choose to live. Oliver works over on 4th and Shire. I'm going to find him and learn about him. I enjoy his company, and I don't know if it's time enough for anything beyond a coffee and getting to know him, but I'm going to enjoy what time I have left. He'll be some part of that. I'm going to live my life, little man. It's all I can do. The boy can only stare at her. His words fail him. He realizes his mouth is ajar and slowly closes it. What? She asks him. This is... This is new, the boy tells her. What's new? Your response. You've never done this before. You've told me almost 4,000 times the world's going to end and I've never chased after Oliver. You've never so much as acknowledged what I told you about his feelings, let alone a discussion of finding him and learning more about him, the boy tells her. Tammy throws the apron into the air. (laughs) Well, hell, first time for everything, kiddo. Without another word, she races out of the shimmering silver door and into the morning sunlight. The boy follows behind her and watches as she hails a taxi. There's something in her beaming smile now he's never seen in all their years of conversation. Once inside, the car merges smoothly into traffic heading in the direction of 4th Street. Maybe they'll let me stay just a little while longer, the boy says aloud to no one in particular. I'm sure we can figure something out. You ever play that game with yourself, what if? What if Martians landed on Earth, right? What if I was the person to interact with them? You know, I I, I think of all of the speculative fiction that's been filmed over time, all the movies, television shows about first contact, and... This is a scenario I've never envisioned before. The idea that intelligent life might come but disguised as a little boy. I mean, we had Invasion of the Body Snatchers, right? Um, and, And other stories of its like, but there's something about the alien taking the form of a child that just slays me. Because I, I guess it's so incongruent that all of that knowledge, all of that wisdom, all of that information, all of that advanced beingness would choose to come in the guise of a small child. It just, it takes me out. In any case, um, if there are any aliens here... And if you do have an intention to appear to me or any of us, please reconsider coming and appearing as a small child. Because that shit would just creep me out. Okay? Okay. <laughs> I can imagine that, you know, this this being, you know, has has been here for a long time. I mean, he would have to be in order to, you know, make all of these thousands of attempts at observing and waiting, hoping really for a different outcome, and yet he never gets one. But there's something about this woman that stops him in his tracks and he just comes back to her for the pie. And the conversation. And when he, when he reveals to her for the umpteenth time that this is a done deal, it, it's happened thousands of times before, and it's going to continue to happen on into infinity, your world is going to end at a specific time, and here's why. And she gives the same response every time except this time, Right for whatever reason, it penetrates to a different part of her where she says, you know what, I'm going to make the most of it and I'm going to seek out connection with another human being. And that's the decision that makes him certain that we are worth continuing to engage with. So what this story really says to me is that it's that part of us that loves that is the only redeeming quality, really, that we have. It's the only thing that this alien was interested in pursuing. And he first did it through this woman, and he invested in her and invested in her and invested in her sensing that that response was in there. Otherwise, he wouldn't keep coming back. But he came back until she made the leap and went for love. That, in and of itself, tends to give me hope. And I know I would be overwhelmed. I mean, how can you possibly sit still knowing that tomorrow, at a certain time, the universe will cease to exist, right? I'd be freaking out. But the idea that she seeks out connection, that, that makes sense to me. And therein lies the beauty of humanity. It is, at the end of the day, our capacity to love that keeps us coming back for the pie and the conversation. Our producer on this episode of LeVar Burton Reads is Julia Marie Smith. She's the best in the business, y'all. Our researcher is Lakeisha Lewis. So glad you are aboard, my sister. Editing and sound design by the very brilliant Brendan Burns. Our sound engineering is by Brendan Burns and my favorite engineer, LeVar Burton. My thanks to Bishop Garrison for allowing me to read his work today. You can find this story in issue number 16 of that's F I Y A H when you search. You can also read his news story, Conscription, in the anthology Fire and Water Stories from the Anthropocene. And that's coming in August of 2021 from Black Lawrence Press. And if you like this podcast, one of the ways you can show it is by sharing an episode with a friend. You can also leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts and include a story suggestion for us. And hey, you can hear episodes ad-free if you like, and also listen to exclusive bonus author interviews on Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcherpremium.com slash LeVar to start your free trial. Lavar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher and Lavar Burton Entertainment. Our executive producers are Josephine Martarana and yours truly, LeVar Burton. And I am LeVar Burton. You can find me on Twitter at LeVar Burton and LeVar.Burton on Instagram. LavarBurton.com is my corner of the internet and you can join my book club at Fable.co slash LeVar. I'll see you all next time, but you don't have to take my word for it.
1: Stitcher. At Delta, we know Mike in AC prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1000 hours of in-flight entertainment. On the next flight, 8C is Mandy, a foodie. So we offer all types of food options because at Delta, everyone flies their own way. Delta, keep climbing.